Hi, I'm Pam Cheek, and I've been a part of First Baptist for probably about 11 or 12 years now. Um, I was really excited when Pastor Brooks announced that he was going to be doing the series on change of plans, because many of you know last year I had a huge change of plans in my life. In September of last year, I had surgery, and I thought it was just going to be a little surgery, and I was going to be out of work for four weeks and be back to it, but God had a different plan. And right before I was supposed to go back to work, I ended up very ill and was in ICU for a few days and spent a seven-day stay in the hospital. During that time, it was a struggle. I had um, ran out of sick time at work, so I wasn't getting paid. My husband was working and being mom and dad and toting kids to and fro. And Anyway, Satan saw that as a great opportunity to just, you know, get into my head and tell me, let me try to believe all of the lies that, you know, he was telling me were true. Um, anyway, I depended on my church family a lot during that time and my, my family as well and my husband and my kids. Um, anyway, I got through that time and again, right before I was supposed to go back to work again, many of y'all will remember I got taken by ambulance out of Sunday service and ended up back in the hospital again for another week. Um, that second hospital stay was probably the most trying time. During that hospital stay, my aunt, that I was very, very close to, passed away. And when I found out, um, I was in my hospital room by myself. And um, I, of course, Satan saw that as a perfect opportunity to just, you know, really get in my head. And I sank even lower. And um, I didn't want to be alone. My husband was at work. My mom had just left. And so I called Dale Jones and she came up to my hospital room and she cried with me and she prayed with me and she loved on me. And she just reminded me that the Lord was my strength and I had to depend on him. And I did. And I got through that. And during that whole time, I remember asking myself all of the questions that Pastor Brooke touched on his first week. You know, why was this happening to me? And, you know, what good was going to come out of it? And you just, you just have to, I learned that you have to do three things. The three things that I learned from my change of plan. You have to definitely pray. You have to stay in the Word. The next, you have to rely on your family and your church family. And then the third thing that I learned through it was that always, always, always good comes from bad things. And that was an awful time in my life. It was a struggle financially. It affected my family, it, my health, of course. Um, it was a rough time, but I'm glad that I went through that time. Um, not because I'm glad that I had health problems, but the things that I learned from that time, I think that, number one, it made me a stronger Christian. It made me a better wife. It made me a better mother. Um, it made me a better friend. My friendships, especially with the people that are in this church, um, my friendships became stronger. I gained new friendships. And... Yeah, I mean, the day that I got taken out of this church service by ambulance, so many people left church, left out of church, left hearing the word, left Brooks' sermon to come be with me. I mean, 
that just is a great testament to what this church is all about. And I just wanted to share a little bit about how God's change of plans changed me. Well, Pam did a great job, I think, just sort of capturing what we've been looking at through the course of this particular series. And uh, as we move through this series entitled Change of Plans, we've we've covered a lot of ground. And we actually videoed Pam's story there. Uh, and stories are powerful, by the way, and everyone has a story to tell. And when God is in the middle of that, it's, it's even more powerful. But we videoed that for Pam a couple of months ago, actually. And she, since that time, had another um, time in the hospital that um that I think she can look back on and say that you know God has done even more through that time as well and so that ties in kind of what we've been looking at in this series entitled Change of Plans. A lot of you have been here through the course of the summer. This series has spanned about 10, 10 weeks or so, and uh, we've covered a lot of different topics, and today we're going to kind of tie up all the loose ends. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap and then add this final message on top that I think will just be, a, t- to me, a fitting conclusion to what we've been looking at through this topic of Change of Plans. So you've been probably wondering you know, along the way, you know, what's up with the bridge? Now, when we put together this series, and we kind of had a little brainstorming with some of us as staff, and um, you know, just talk through what is an image that kind of captures what a change of plans looks like. And so for me, this was the one, you know, that was set out. I think Eric may have found this. I can't remember if it was Eric or Jason, but uh, Eric, I think, found this. And I thought, you know what, the, the reason this ties into me is if you're driving that particular road and you come across that, your plans are going to change whether you like it or not. And so today I thought it was only fitting, since we're finishing the series, that we also finish the bridge. And so for those of you to help you sleep tonight, uh, we now have a concluded bridge, which is uh, hopefully beneficial for you. So we're going to wrap up the series, and it's been an interesting run as we've looked at a change of plans and how the different ways those plans, our plans can sometimes change, whether it's in our health, like Pam alluded to. A lot of times it's kind of a steamroll effect to where our health plans may change, but then it becomes a change of plans in our family dynamics. You know, maybe for you it's been a financial change of plans or something relational that's happened, or, you know, the list goes on and on. And so if we, as we've sifted through a lot of those, we've been looking primarily at what God does through this. And I've heard the comments. I've mentioned this before a couple of weeks ago. I've heard the comments, and I've heard about the comments of people saying, when is this series going to be over? Because we're sick and tired of our plans always changing. Everything is changing uh, you know, in our lives. We've got tires blowing out and all kind of stuff that's happening, and we're tired of this. And, and it's your fault, Brooks, because you're preaching on this series. And so it doesn't work that way. You know, It doesn't happen. Uh, you know, your plans aren't changing just because I'm preaching on this, I don't think. However, you know, I kind of thought, what if, what if it did work that way? What if things happened because I preached on them? What would be the next fitting series, maybe, that I can dive into, maybe even starting next Sunday? So here's the first one I came up with. Loads of money mysteriously arriving in my pocket series. That would be a good one, right? Yeah? Who, who's going to be here next Sunday if we start with that? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, you greedy people. Okay, so so and, and then if it really did work that way as well, maybe here's another series I can consider. You can be physically fit without any exercise series. Yeah, who's in? Right? Who's going to sign up for that? Yeah, just give me some time and I'll get to the sign up table and we'll we'll be able to do it. And then I think my personal favorite that just moves me: Georgia Bulldogs win football national title this year. Serious? Yeah. <laughs> who who just booed in church? You pathetic people. I can't, you're probably wearing orange or some of those other kind of colors that are going on. You know, it, so if it worked that way, those are just some series I could, I could maybe consider. But, you know, it's been a good ride as we've moved through Change of Plans. And I know for some of you, as we've come through this series, it, it, it was right on time. You know, you, you've thought and, and you've even said, 
you know, this is the series that I needed because, you know, I've had the wheels come off in certain aspects of my life here recently, and I've been through some changes, and this has really been a challenge to me. It's been helpful for me to see uh, some, some basic truths maybe that I had forgotten or that I had never known. And so this series has been fitting for you. For others of you, it's been in the midst of this series, right, that, that some of those plans have changed. And you've been having to navigate some really, really difficult terrain. And, and some of the principles we've looked at in Scripture and uh, some of how God has operated in the past in the Bible has been helpful for you today as it relates to your change of plan. So I hope it's been good for you. And I hope for those of you that you're really, you know, you're just kind of glad we're done because you haven't had any changes come lately. I hope you've taken good notes because that's the way life rolls, you know, plans come. And so this morning, what I want to do, again, as I mentioned, is just kind of roll through some of the main takeaways, the sermon points, if you want to call them that, that we've looked at through the course of this ser- series this summer, and uh, and then tied up with a final passage that I want us to look at as we close out this series. A lot of these points I'm about to make, you've already written down if you've been here through the summer. I'm not going to have them on the overhead. Um, if you're going to try to keep up with me and write, you're going to have to write really fast. But these are some of the high points of what we've seen. And the very first one we looked at, one of the first weeks, was that uh, our, the, the change of plans that come in our lives is just a fact of life. And we can't avoid the fact that plans change. There's no matter, it doesn't matter how much you plan, it doesn't matter how uh, gifted you are at planning and organizing. If you set your plans out, they are going to change. It is the way life operates. It is the way life rolls. And so our plans change whether we want them to or not. But what we also looked at was that whenever we go through a change of plans in our lives, uh, oftentimes it creates questions that we've never had to grapple with. And if those are significant changes, for example, maybe if you've been through a separation or a divorce or a serious illness or, or bankruptcy or some other type of a change that's come in your life, maybe for you, even as a Christian, it's caused you to ask questions that you've never asked before and to really grapple with your faith, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, as long as we as we come to the conclusions that God wants us to. But maybe for you, as you've moved through your change of plans, one of your first questions was, like Pam said, you know, where is God in the midst of all this? And we unpacked that early on in this series. And I won't go back through this through the passages, you know, because we've already taken a lot of time to do that uh, up to this point. But one of the things we established was that God is always in control. And in the life of the believer, especially, if you go through a change of plans and ask the question, where is God? You know, I thought I had a free pass. I thought life was going to be easier now that I'm a Christian. Uh, That's not necessarily the case. However, God is always with you as his child, and he will never abandon you. And he's always firmly in control, even in the midst of very difficult changes of plans that come in our lives. And so when we ask that question, where is God? He is always near for the believer. He is always always in control. We may ask the question of, can any good come out of this? And we looked at Romans chapter 8 and how, yes, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. There is some some mix that God is able to make that no one else can do to where He takes the worst of circumstances in life. And He is able, as we commit those to Him, He is able to work his power and His glory and His majesty and everything that He desires in His will to, to work all that out for good in our lives. And so we're never at a place as a follower of Jesus, even in the worst of changes that come in our lives, we're never at a place where we, can, where we cannot say, you know what, God is going to make this good. And if I trust Him and if I wait upon Him, He's going to come through for me as a result. And so we looked at how God accomplishes uh, uh, all of those things in the midst of our changes. And when we ask the hard questions... God is willing to answer those hard questions for us. And many times he does it through the pages of Scripture. Early on in the series, we also established the simple fact that it's our change of plans many times. And you heard Pam kind of paint this picture for us. It's our change of plans that becomes the window through which God reveals himself to us. It's the window through which God reveals his will. And we may go through a season of change, a very difficult time. 
and we will look back one day and we can see where God... You know, it's as though He almost raised a window in our life and, and He stepped through and He showed Himself in a brand new way for us. Or, or maybe He raised the window and, and he, he accomplished something in our lives that was a part of His will for us that we would have missed otherwise. And it was that change of plans, right? That He, he just kind of raised the window, stepped in. He, he, he applied His will to our lives. And it was in the context of a change that we never saw coming, that we never expected, that was maybe even difficult for us. And yet God used it to reveal Himself to us in a very, very fresh new way. We began to look in the series uh, each week at specific things that God could do through our change of plans. And every week we looked kind of at one specific one. And I made the comment, typically each week for the most part, that uh, you know God is not necessarily doing all of these every time our plans change. But he could be up to, to these specifically for us. So we need, to, we need to pray. We need to ask God, what are you doing through my change of plans? One of the things that God is up to when our plans change is to shape us into the image of Christ. Now that is one that's guaranteed. When your plans change, regardless of financial, relational, health-related, regardless of what it is, when your plans change, when my plans change, I believe God is always wanting to use that to mold and to shape us into the image of Christ. We use kind of the illustration. I, I quoted a Boys Life magazine article from like 50 years ago when they asked a guy, you know, a, a master carver, I think it was an elephant he was carving, you know, how do you carve an elephant out of a piece of wood? And he said, well, you place a block of wood there and you take away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. You know, it's a very simplistic answer, but it's kind of a good picture of how God works in our lives. He is constantly at work in the life of the believer, molding and shaping and whittling away things that don't look like Christ. And many times it'll be a change of plans where we realize I'm not in control here. I can't control these circumstances. I can't make things work out the way that I want. It's in those changing plans that God is whittling away things in our lives that don't look like Christ. And He's making us into the image. He's shaping and conforming us into the image of His Son. We looked at how God oftentimes will use a change of plans to direct us. We looked at Paul in Acts chapter 16 when God closed the door to a specific spot on the map, right, to where He said, Paul, you're not going in there in order to open up the rest of the world, a whole other continent that would get the gospel to the rest of the world. God changed Paul's plans to direct him from point A to point B. And for us, he does the same thing. You, know, you look back at maybe a job loss or a, or a change in plans related to your position at work or some other change that comes. It very possibly could be that God is using that change to direct you from where you've been to where he wants you. And you can't possibly see or understand today what it is that he may be up to. Many times he'll use a change of plans to accommodate his timing. You know, he's wanting to pour into us. But if he gave us his blessings now, we're not ready for them. You know, it would ruin us. And so he's setting up his timing. He's molding and shaping and preparing us. He's pulling strings and orchestrating on the other side of whatever it is that he's wanting to do. And as the timing comes to a place to where it's, where it's right, then he blesses us. And it's the change of plans that He uses sometimes to help set up His perfect timing in our lives. There are times where God will orchestrate a change of plans in us to benefit somebody else. That's where the rubber hits the road. We talked about that in that particular message, as He did with Joseph, where He orchestrated a 13-year hiatus, so to speak, in Joseph's life. It seemed like everything was falling apart, but God was very actively at work. Joseph received a vision from God that he would rule and reign. Thirteen years later, he finally saw that come to fruition. And in the midst of that, God was at work on every level 
right, through that change of plans to do what only God could do. And ultimately, it was to bless not only Joseph's family that had treated him so badly, but also to bless an entire nation as a result. And there are times that God will use a change of plans in us simply to bless other people. Sometimes He does it to demonstrate His greatness, to show off like He did with Gideon. Sometimes God changes our plans to expose sin in our lives like He did with the prodigal son. Whenever we go through a change of plans in our lives, what He wants us to do is to trust that He will always personally provide for us in the midst of that change. That's what we looked at last Sunday. He always does that in His children's lives. Personally, He provides. And then as Jeremy preached about a month or so ago in early July, uh, he preached on contentment and how that's our response when our plans change, that, that we need to be content. As difficult as that may be, we need to be at a place of contentment as we trust God. And so as we look at all these different aspects of this series, of how God is at work and what He's doing, and when our plans change, He could be doing a variety of things in the process, that He's always with us as Christians. He's never going to abandon us. Here's the question, I think, the final question that needs to be asked. So what then do we do when we come through the other side? The plans have changed, all right? The dust has settled. We've kind of like moved through them. We've come through the other side, and now we look back... And we see God's fingerprints all over it, right? We can kind of look back and say, oh, that's why my job changed. Oh, that's why we had to move and we didn't see it coming. Oh, that's what was going on, kind of like Pam talked about. That's what God was trying to do in the midst of this change of plans. When we look back then, what do we do at that point? Is it all over? I mean, do we just kind of come through, kind of brush off the dust and say, whew, I hope to never go through that again, and then kind of move on our merry way? Or is there one more thing we need to do? And I think what we find in Scripture is that there is one more thing we need to do. And that one more thing is often forgotten. And it is that we simply praise God for what He did in the midst of and as a result of our change of plans. If you were to study all of the different aspects of theology, of a relationship with God, if you begin to unpack prayer, if you begin to unpack evangelism, sharing our faith, if you were to unpack Bible study, the truth of God's Word, all the different aspects, right? And there are dozens and dozens and dozens. If you were to study all the different aspects of the, uh, of the Christian life, I think there would be one that is often forgotten, and it is that aspect of praise, of what it means to praise God. That when we come through and He has blessed and He has shown up or He has delivered or He has worked, He has moved. Oftentimes, at least I want to speak for myself here for a moment. Many times for me, sad to say, in my Christian life, I have forgotten just to simply go back and thank God for what He did back there in the mess. I've forgotten to go back and thank Him and praise Him beyond some superficial, oh, thank you, God, please continue to bless. And I've left off that, that important quality, that important aspect of my Christian life, of praising God for who He is and what He did, even in the midst of the change. I, I looked up some definitions of what it means to praise. Here's a couple that I came up with. One is that praise is an expression of admiration. When we praise God, we are expressing our admiration of Him. We are expressing who He is to us, what He means to us. To praise Him is to express admiration. Another definition that I came across is that praise is, is uh, an expression of thanks to or love and respect for God. That when we praise Him, we are thanking Him, we are demonstrating our love for Him, we are re demonstrating our respect for Him, uh, our, our yieldedness to Him. All of that is wrapped up in praise. When we read through Scripture, what we find is, is that there are examples of praise taking place both kind of in the private arena where it's just us and God, but also, I would say even more often than not, praise is demonstrated as being in the public arena. 
where it's someone praising God in the midst of others who could hear and others that could be impacted as a result. In the first service, I had a number of different passages of Scripture to walk through just quickly to show the, the importance of praise. I'm not going to cover all of those, uh, but let me just show you a couple real quickly uh, this morning. Let, let's bring up Hebrews chapter 13 if we can. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, Through Him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. It is throughout Scripture. Jesus modeled it in His own life and ministry. Throughout the pages of Scripture we see that praise is something that we are not only given the right to do, the blessing of being able to do, but it's also, it's also expected of us as God's children that we praise Him for who He is and we praise Him for what He's done. Let me show you an interesting passage here in the book of Luke chapter 17. It, it comes out of a... Uh, comes out of an experience in Jesus' ministry where he had healed uh, ten specific men. Now, let's just kind of pick up the story and see what happens and how it ties in with this topic of praise. It says, while he, Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men, men who had been covered in leprosy, who stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. In other words, it's as they responded by faith to his command that he healed them. Verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. The English Standard Version uses the word praise there. Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and he said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory or to praise God except this foreigner? And it's an interesting picture there because there is almost this expectation. There is this expectation on the part of Jesus that, you know, you came to me with a need. I chose to heal you as an act of my grace. And once I healed you, there is this expectation that then you are going to praise me for what I've done. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus is an egomaniac at all. No, he's God. And when you're God and you're the creator, I mean, you're worthy, you're deserving of praise. I mean, he certainly acknowledges that. And so Jesus is saying, you know, I have healed ten of you. Nine of you chose to go your, your kind of your, your own independent way. Uh, but, but there is another step to finish this circle here. There is another step that needs to be accomplished. And that is giving me the glory for what I've just done. And he looks at this Samaritan. And he says, where are the other nine? I mean, I just changed your life. I just set you free. I changed your whole entire status. There was a reason they were at a distance from Jesus with leprosy. It was because it was the cultural requirement. It was the spiritual requirement on the part of the Jewish leadership. And when he healed them, he changed their life as a result of that. And so Jesus says, where are the other nine? You know, they, they haven't, they haven't put, the, put the bow on top. They haven't finished out what's, what, you know, what, what is expected here. They, they had chose just to go on without praising me. And there's a principle here that I want us to see elsewhere in Scripture that I hope you'll jot down. The last principle from this whole series. And the principle is this, that whenever God acts on our behalf, when He meets us in the midst of our change of plans and He comes through for us, He molds us or shapes us or delivers us, whatever He does, when He does that, that experience is not over. It is not complete. The picture is not finished until His praise is given. And it's that, that component that is often missed. And I'll, I'll say that this is one of the greatest dangers of this series. That, that you and I will go out of this place 
as summer ends and we will have done this series and we'll see our changes of plans more clearly and we'll have more hope because we know God is there and God is at work and we're not alone. Here's the danger. We'll come through the other side and we'll be different because of it, but we will not pause to give God the glory that is due. And there will be no one around us who will be able to hear the God of the universe put on a pedestal that He deserves because our lips will be silent. We will be among the nine. We will not be likened to the one. In the book of Psalms, chapter 145, I'd like for you to turn there with me if you will. Psalm chapter 145. In this particular chapter, we find it's the last psalm ascribed to King David. Psalms 146 through 50 that finish out the book of Psalms. There's no real uh, naming of who it was that wrote those particular psalms from a human perspective. We know God wrote them. But in Psalm 145, it's the last one we read of ascribed to David. John Phillips is a commentator who, who said that it's this Psalm 145 that kind of brings all the other psalms to a, to a crescendo. You know, it kind of pulls them all together. I think what you'll see here, at least in the first seven verses that we'll read this morning, you'll see that what brings them all to a crescendo is that, that David praises God for who he is. His greatness, his grace, his faithfulness, and his righteousness. So let's jump in here. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1. David writes and he says, I will extol you or I will praise you, my God, O King. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. It's interesting when you look at the very first phrase there, David says, I will extol you or I will praise you. And then he says, you know, there as a, as a specific title to God, he says, my God, O King. And what David does there is that he... he attaches his praise to a very personal relationship. He says, you are my God. If, if God to David was nothing more than just like a grand ideal or some force out there in the universe, right? David would not have taken a step to praise him, right? We, we don't praise things that, are, that, that do not have personality. We, we only praise those things that are, that are real to us, those things that we have a personal relationship with. And what David is saying here, he's saying, I extol you. I give you the highest majesty. I praise you because you are my God, right? You you are, you are the great king, but you are my God. You are personal. And when we praise God, it is one of the most absolute, personal, intense things that we can do in our relationship with Him is to give Him praise for who He is and give Him praise for what He's done. David goes on, verse 3, and he says, Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another. And, and what's understood there is if one generation falls silent, there will be another that never hears. One generation shall praise your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts. In other words, this is the norm for those that have been set free by Jesus. This is the norm for those who walk in relationship with God, David says. Verse 5, he says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts. I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. In other words, David says all through those three verses, he says, men shall speak. He says, I'm going to be one who's going to be telling. There will be others who will uh, uh, eagerly utter the memory of your goodness. And then there are others that are going to be shouting joyfully. In other words, the world is going to be filled with the sound of people that are going to be declaring your praises of who you are, God, and what you've done. And what they're going to be telling, you see the words highlighted, they're going to be telling of your power. They're going to be telling about your acts. They're going to be telling about, ultimately, 
your goodness and your righteousness and your greatness. That's going to be the story that is told. And in all of creation... God has one mouthpiece that is loudest and that, that, that is broadcast the farthest, and it's the mouthpiece of His people giving Him the glory and the praise for what He has ultimately done in their lives. So that's what David is absolutely hammering here in Psalm chapter 145. He says, man, count me in the number. I'm going to be one of those that are just broadcasting far and wide of who you are and of how you've manifested yourself in my life, God. And so as we look at all this and how it ties into our change of plans, here's what I see. That God has given us a platform. He's given you a platform individually as his children, as one of his children to make his name great. And very possibly one of the ways that he has demonstrated his greatness and his righteousness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his love for you is by what he's done in the midst of your change of plans. And so you've come through the other side or you've come through enough to see His hand at work. And the question remains then, what now? What now? What next? And the answer to that is, well then, it's time to give Him the glory that He's due. And it's time to do just as David said in this psalm. It's time to tell from one life to another, one generation to the next, of who He is and of what He's done. Maybe for you, this change of plans that you've been through has given you what the psalmist would call a new psalm. Psalm chapter 96, verse 1. It says, sing to the Lord a new song." You know, you may not have had the song you have today about God before your plans changed. But today, on the other side of what you've been through when your plans fell apart and God's plans picked up, you got a song that you didn't have before. And it's a song that puts him on display, and it's a song that testifies of his greatness, and it's a song that is personal that only you can sing because it's your song. And in the midst of the deepest valley maybe of your life, when it seemed as though the lights were the darkest, it was there that God showed up, and it was there that God bailed you out, and it was there that God began to change you, and it was there that God showed you who he was, and now the time is for you to make that known in a way that others can hear. And perhaps it be the catalyst to them saying, you know what? I want that God to be my God. You know, tonight we're going to finish out this series. At 7 o'clock this evening, this series will be officially done. It's kind of like the Olympics. We're going to put out the torch, you know. Uh, we're going to finish out the series. And you're thinking, all right, 7 o'clock, I thought we were done now. And it's getting close to lunchtime, you long-winded preacher. Uh, you know, let's get out of here. But we're not going to be done until 7 o'clock tonight. Here's why. We're not coming back here, and I'm not going to preach for another hour, you know, at 6. But at 7, I want to ask you to do something maybe you've never done before. How many of you are on any platform of social media? Let me just see your hands. Okay? I'm not, by the way. I'm better than you. Uh, I don't need those. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know how to operate it. That's why. <laughs> All right. So many of you are on social media on different platforms, Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to do like a little flash mob tonight. And we're going to, we're going to put... God's name out there, and we're going to give Him the glory that is due in a very creative way. It's not the only way, I hope, but this may, may kickstart it for you. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Tonight at 7, you know, everyone who's on some level of platform of social media, at 7 o'clock tonight, we're going to ask you to, to just post your story of how God has worked through your change of plans. It will be your story, and no one else can refute it. 
It'll be your story that puts him on display. Kind of like what Pam did verbally here for five minutes. You're going to have a chance to do in writing tonight. You're not going to post it on our church's Facebook page. If you can, you if you want to, you can. But that'd be kind of the easy way out. Now, we would love for you to post it on your social media platform. And for some of you, that's going to be a huge step of faith because you've never done that before. You've only put up kids' pictures and kind of told what you're doing that weekend or, you know, what's going on at work. You've never thought about entering God into the public arena on your own social media platform. And tonight at 7, you're going to have an opportunity to do that within the context of His faithfulness and your change of plans. So we've got a hashtag we'd love for you to plan to use, if you would, and this can kind of track them all back to the same place. And many of you are going to want to go and read these stories. If you were to just do hashtag change of plans, there's no telling what might show up, right? So we're going to make it personal to us. So hashtag FBCI change of plans. You see it right there. Plan to, if you would, just you know, tack that onto your post and, uh, and enjoy the stories of what God has done and of how he has worked in the midst of so many here in the midst of their change of plans. We're not asking for you to be a cheerleader of this church. We're not asking for you to be a cheerleader of me or this series or any of that. We're asking for you to be the cheerleader of who God is and how He has shown Himself mighty in your life. And as you do that, to all do it at 7 o'clock and just light up, just light it up, right? For everyone to see, not just in our own little Christian bubble, but for all of those in all of your social media outreach networks, in all of your circles of influence, thousands of people to be impacted by the stories of who God is and what He's done, not in the world, but for you. And you may say, you know what, Brooks? Well, I'm really glad you said that because I'm not on social media and I've got a free pass. No, you don't. There are other people that you know, and I challenge you and I encourage you to step outside the box and maybe sometime today or tonight or tomorrow or somewhere that you begin to tell the stories of what God has done. And when you come through your next change of plans, you don't just come through the other side, brush off and say, thank you, God. But you praise Him for who He is from the heart. And then you tell His story to those around so that they can know Him the way that you do. And if you don't know Him today, And if you've never come to the place where you've given your own individual life personally to God, the way you can do it this morning is to simply decide in your life, you know what, I don't want sin to characterize me anymore. I've run from God for far enough and for far too long, and I'm tired of the sin that that, that, that characterizes my life today. And as an act of my will, I lay it down, and I choose the best I can to not live a life of sin and selfishness, but to live a life of surrender to God. And as you lay down your sin, I encourage you this morning, if you've never done it, to simply pray in your heart and ask the Lord Jesus, God Himself, who's already died on the cross for your sin, to take your place, to ask Him to come in, to forgive you, and to just flat take over, to be your Savior, to be your Lord. And you know what? He'll hear that prayer. He's answered every single one of them throughout history that came from the heart. And He'll take over your life and begin to change you. And He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. And He'll work just like Pam said, even the worst this world throws our way into his ultimate best. Let's pray.